0: church's purpose is found in Matthew 28 verse 19 when Jesus told us we are to go through the world making disciples of all people. That's referred to as the Great Commission. It was given by Jesus just before his return to heaven. Go, teach, baptize, teach. And Christ's last command must be our first concern. So this morning I want us to consider our role 2,000 years later in accomplishing that mission and Jesus commissioned his apostles to be his witnesses bearing testimony of his truth he said starting in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and that would be like us saying start sharing the gospel in Batesville take it to the tri-state throughout the Midwest and to the ends of the earth and there are several ways that we can show that missions matter one is to pray for our missionaries and consistently lift them up before the Lord with their challenges and struggles. Another is is to give. As a church, uh, we have a commitment that 15 cents of every dollar, 15% of anything that we receive will be given out to an outside mission. Uh, and so we're trying to, to model that as a, as a church. Uh, you can write emails with with email. It's amazing now. You can communicate with missionaries around the globe instantly, and there's no weeks delay writing a a, a letter. And if you want someone to begin with, let me suggest uh, Steve McFarland's parents. Our our summer student minister, his uh, parents are missionaries in his homeland of, of India, and Steve could provide you with that address for Ernest and Numretta, and you could communicate with his parents via, via email. And just be an encouragement to them. Mission trips are another way that we can go have an experience in another culture and and, and do that firsthand. And today we're going to see some video that will remind us of the the value and and importance of mission trips. But you can also be a missionary right here and and never leave the continental United States. And we're called to, to do that. We're to start where we are sharing and expanding the scope of the gospel in concentric circles that know no boundary or limit. And there's an example found in Acts 17, if you would turn there this morning, of how we bridge out with our message. I want us to learn from one of the greatest missionaries of all time, the Apostle Paul, as we examine the approach that he used. Today, I want you to be excited for the fields of kingdom opportunity, which are ripe for harvest, and the chance that that our church has had to help build a home for the Presendu family in in Haiti just uh, is another way that our limits are not confined to local impact, but we're having a, a global impact. I want you to allow God to speak to you today about a personal role that you can fulfill in this mandate of Christ as we try to carry this out through the response of a friendship outreach. I like to define friendship outreach as telling our good friends about our best friend. And so the first lesson we learn from Paul is there in, in Acts chapter 17. It's a lesson to be creative. It reminds me of the joke about an older gentleman who was invited by his, his friend Martin to, uh, to eat dinner. And so all night long, his host preceded every request to his wife by some endearing term. He'd call her honey or refer to her as my love or would you pass the salt darling or sweetheart could I get another napkin please or pumpkin may I have some more iced tea and when Martin's wife was in the kitchen the guest told Martin that's really nice that after all these years you've been married you still call your wife by those affectionate pet names I'm really impressed Martin hung his head and looked both ways and he admitted, to tell you the truth, I forgot her name three years ago. <laughs> well, that's being creative, isn't it? Well, in Acts 17, we find the Apostle Paul being creative in presenting the gospel to a tough audience. He had a rough assignment. It says in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. He, he had this public forum. He would dialogue and try to talk to people about Christ uh, out in these public places. It says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. You know, they were debating and disagreeing, dialoguing. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19 says, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. And this was this council meeting held on Mars Hill in this large outdoor center of commerce and philosophy. And there they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. And then Luke adds this little parenthetical insight. He says, all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there just spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. He didn't have a lot of use for these philosophers. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that you are in every way very religious. First, I walked around and I I looked carefully at your objects of worship, all these idols. He said, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown god now what you worship as something unknown i am going to proclaim to you paul was distressed verse 16 to see the city of athens was full of idols he would be equally upset in any major american town or city because sometimes we've been guilty of giving homage to some pretty insignificant Objects of worship that become idols to us. I've known people to worship a house, a habit, a hobby, a career, even another person. And many false gods or idols still captivate our worship. It's important that we remember that the object of our worship is to be the living God. When we grow in our love for God, our impulse, our natural response will be to worship him. And so Paul went to where the people were to be found. He didn't limit himself to only religious venues, but he would hang out in the marketplace where people came every day to assemble and and buy food and supplies. It was the hub of their community. It would be the equivalent of us spending time reaching out to others when we frequent Kroger, La Rose's, the farmer's market, the Y. Liberty Park. We must not wait for people to find us at the church building. We need to go out seeking to share Christ with them. And notice that Paul didn't reduce his story about Jesus to try to lighten it up and make it more palatable to a skeptical audience. He did utilize creativity to package it in an intriguing way designed to pique their curiosity. Our methods must always change but our our message must never change. And he knew just the right approach to gain a hearing with this audience of intellectual philosophers. Verses 22 and 23, then Paul stood up and said, I I can see you all are very religious. And as I walked around, I I saw all your objects of of worship, your idols. And I even saw an idol inscribed to the unknown God. And now what you worship as something unknown, I'm here to tell you all about him. I, I know the unknown God. Yeah, I know him. And so I'm here to proclaim him to you. What, what a great introduction. What a super hook. And he walked in and thought to himself, well, these guys are full-blown pagans. They, they have idols all over the city. They have idols for everything. They're not taking any chances. There's even an idol in case they've overlooked someone, an idol to the unknown God. But instead of being discouraged and letting that rampant paganism be a deterrent, He used their misguided spirituality to his advantage, saying, I want to tell you more about this unknown God. Sit down and listen. I I know him personally. And and they sat down and listened. I think the lesson for us is instead of saying, oh, the world is so dark, it it is so sinful, it is so perverse, what can we do? Wringing our hands, woe is me. We must remember the darker the night, the brighter the light. And so our message is not one that is overlooked. It's deeply needed by our society, and it has an appeal that goes beyond what we can imagine when people are, are, are searching. Creati- create, creatively, Paul appealed to their spiritual side that was completely undernourished, and he got their attention. And the result was that some individuals came to become believers in what he was teaching and, and sharing that day. And so building on Paul's tactful, persuasive ability to connect with non-Christians, let me suggest some additional ways that that you can tell Christ's story to those in in need. I think the next thing is to be compelling. The, The grammatical construction of the Great Commission says, as you are going, make disciples. And so as you go throughout your day, we're to have a positive influence on the people that we encounter during that day. So begin to see the potential in the people where you shop, where you bank, where you dine, where you recreate. See those individuals as God sees them. See the most resistant sinner as being a, a pre-Christian, containing worth, having eternal potential, possessing spiritual possibilities. And start where they are spiritually. And then visualize the end result of how the Holy Spirit can transform and, and refashion their lives And begin to build relationships and pray for opportunities to impact those you encounter. I remember years ago when a a new Skyline Chili opened not far from us, and no doubt most of you are familiar with this nectar of the gods, Skyline, and I I would eat there often and I I began to develop a friendship with a number of the servers and with Chad, the manager. Chad was a, a disenfranchised Catholic who had not attended church in years, and For five years, I'd come in and and eat and shoot the breeze with him, and we talked often as I earned the right to be heard. And Whenever I tried to move the topic beyond Chad's fantasy football team or or sports in general and shift it to the Lord, I, I felt resistance. And so I just waited for the right opening. I invited Chad to attend a New Year's sports breakfast held on January 1st at another church. I knew it was a long shot. I asked him to attend... Special events before, as well as our worship services, but he was not interested. However, this time he said yes. And he listened to Brett, the speaker who gave devotions that day, who just happened to be a friend of mine and another Christian customer from Chad Skyline. A few days after the breakfast, Chad said to me, "I don't understand why there are so many different churches." I asked, "Could I study the Bible with you and try to answer your questions?" And so Chad and Brett and I began to meet weekly on Tuesday afternoons at Skyline. We'd sit in a booth to study, and the first week, Chad brought a list of 12 questions. The the next week, 10 questions. The third week, six questions. The fourth week, he wrote down four questions. And it was exciting to see the light bulb go on in Chad's eyes. And after a month of study, Chad was ready to commit his life to Christ. And he came forward at our church on decision day and was immersed in the Christ, and At that time, his wife, April, renewed her commitment to Christ and transferred her membership, and they became active in serving the Lord. And then later, I felt like a spiritual grandfather when I watched Chad baptize his daughter, Emma. Since then, Tara, another server with whom I had spoken for four years and was also being influenced for Christ additionally by Chad and April and Stan Kirtland, another Skyline-loving Christian brother, Uh, I had the privilege of baptizing her a week before she gave birth to her first child. Other servers visited our services, all from different places in their spiritual pilgrimage. Val attended. Justin started coming. He brought his girlfriend, Jen, who was also a server, and she brought her two sisters. And they all worked at the same skyline. But a beachhead for outreach had been established, and only eternity will reveal the full results of this cooperative effort into friendship outreach. The next thing that we want to do is be consistent. Your testimony of what Christ has done in your life, it's powerful. It's irrefutable. It needs to be shared openly and often. And simplicity and authenticity resonate with a postmodern culture. And the pragmatism of a life changed appeals to those in, in any generation. So first, you must present a consistent Christian example. i doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but you have to be consistent. A minister was preaching at a revival service and was trying to use a dramatic effect to emphasize the universality of sin. And in a loud voice, he piously intoned, if there's anyone here tonight who's never sinned, would you please stand up? Uh, and of course, everyone just kind of looked down and nobody moved. He said, so, I mean, if you have never sinned, would you just stand up right now? And by now, he was in an emotional high gear, and he shouted, If you have never sinned, would you just stand up? We'd all like to see you. And after an awkward pause, a gentleman in the second row slowly rose to his feet. There was a collective gasp from the crowd, and the startled minister said, Sir, you mean you've never sinned? Are you perfect? The man answered, No. No, I'm not, but I thought somebody should stand up and represent my wife's first husband. Well the moral of the story is don't wait until you are perfect to tell others about Christ or you're never going to do it. No one is perfect except Christ. But we can strive to be consistent in our examples. It is called earning the right to be heard. And several years ago I was coaching our older son's little league baseball team and and don't worry this doesn't involve a tournament game or forgetting the the right time there the the other coach on our team was named Jeff, and he didn't share Christian values. He was was living with a woman who was the mother of one of the boys on the team. After the games, when the concession stand would close, Jeff would mix alcohol into the frozen slushies for the parents who had remained. And that summer, I tried to build a friendship with Jeff, and I looked for a way to guide him toward the Lord. And midway through the summer, he had a big fight with his girlfriend. She told him to move out, He got on his motorcycle, although he had been drinking, and he raced along a winding stretch of a state route running beside a a large river. He missed a sharp curve, and his motorcycle went one direction, and Jeff went flying through the air and crashed into a tree. He sustained head injuries, multiple fractures in his leg, and many abrasions and and lacerations. And Jeff was in the hospital for a few weeks, and I I began to visit him and, and have prayer with him I found out that he had a brother who was a Christian who was also doing the same. And I learned that Jeff had been baptized years earlier at the Linden Church of Christ by Jim Dempsey. And so I contacted Jim and told him of Jeff's accident. And then Jim began to visit him and and talk to Jeff as well about his need to reorder the priorities of his broken life. And during that time, he was in the hospital. None of his drinking buddies came around. And Jeff discovered that the people he thought were his friends Really didn't care, but there were three Christians who were spending a lot of time listening, encouraging, and supporting him. I'll never forget that Sunday morning when Jeff came into our worship service in progress. He had just been released from the hospital, and slowly, painstakingly, he he walked in on crutches wearing blue jean cutoffs. He had rods and pins protruding from his injured leg. His face was still scratched from his near-fatal accident. And that morning when the invitation was offered, Jeff slowly made his way down the center aisle. And there were not many dry eyes that morning when he repeated his confession of faith and rededicated his life to Jesus. You don't have to be perfect to have an influence on someone. Just be consistent. Remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that brings us to the next response. in telling his story. That is, be considerate. You can't argue someone into the kingdom. Uh, You can't be insulting or insensitive and, and expect to fulfill our mission of leading others to Christ. I heard a joke about a woman who got on a city bus holding a baby, and the bus driver took one look at the child, and before he could stop himself, he blurted out, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. Well, the mother was enraged. She slammed her change into the fare box and she stormed toward an open seat at the back of the bus. She turned to the man seated beside her and she complained, that bus driver insulted me. The man was trying to be helpful. He sympathized and remarked, well, he's a public servant. He shouldn't say things that insult passengers. You're exactly right, she agreed. I think I'll go back up there and give him a piece of my mind. That's a good idea, the man said. Here, I'll hold your monkey for you. (laughs) You can't insult people and expect to lead them to Christ. We've all encountered an overbearing, overzealous Christian determined to argue, condemn, or pressure people into making a kingdom decision. Because of the urgency of the task at hand, they rationalize their take-no-prisoners policy of witnessing. I remember years ago at a church where I served, they told about a previous minister who had gone and, and, and talked to a, a man about becoming a Christian. And the minister took out a, a matchstick, lit it, blew it out, and while it was still hot, he held it against the man's arm. And the man goes, Ouch, hey, that hurt. He said, it Doesn't feel too good, does it? Well, that's how it's going to feel all over your body when you're burning in hell for eternity. Can you imagine the damage that did to that individual and, and to that family? And, and so, That's not how Jesus approached the lost. Winsomely, compellingly, lovingly, he sought to lead them, not push them, to a decision. As for me, I'll take Jesus' approach any day over the guilt-drenched manipulation of an evangelist who doesn't respect an individual's right to reject Christ. In Mark chapter 10, we know how Jesus handled a situation like that. He watched sadly as he issued the terms of discipleship and watched this wealthy young ruler reject his invitation to eternal life. And instead of getting in the young man's face, Jesus allowed him to turn and, and walk away. We have free will to make that decision whether we will follow Christ or not. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So as we serve as missionaries, making local and global impact, there's one more thing we need to do, and that's be courageous. Paul gave his audience this courageous message about God's truth back in our text in Acts 17. Let's pick up in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples built by hands. he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set before them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and Perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think about the divine being as like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent and he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead and so when they heard about the resurrection of the dead some of them sneered oh this is crazy where did he come up with this I, that, that's, there's no way but others said we want to hear you again on this subject uh, that's intriguing I'd like to ask some questions I'd like to sit down in the booth with you and, and see if you can help clear up some of my uncertainty. It says, at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionysius, the, the, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And so Paul allowed people the freedom to reject the message, but he lovingly kept sharing the message And that perseverance paid off with some people coming to follow Christ out of that unlikely audience and that debate that day on, on Mars Hill. I love the story of black musician Louis Armstrong about the need to be courageous. Years ago when he was growing up dirt poor in Louisiana, his grandmother sent him down to the river to get a bucket of water. And he came back scared to death. The bucket was empty. And his grandmother said, Louis, what's wrong? Granny, there's a crocodile down there and I'm scared. She said, now, Louie, you go back down there and you get that bucket of water. That crocodile is just as scared of you as you are of him. Now, Louie looked at his grandmother with those big eyes and said, Granny, if that crocodile is as scared of me as I am of him, that water ain't fit to drink. <laughs> well, haven't we let fear immobilize us long enough? There's no excuse for us not trying to share our love for Christ with others. You can't succeed at an interview if you don't show up for it. You won't get the job if you don't apply. And if we don't talk to people about Jesus, we won't be leading our our friends to the Lord. The the longest journey begins with the first step. There's a, a tree nursery in Canada that displayed this sign on its wall. It says, the best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. The second best time is today. So today is a day that we move from hesitation and fear and we begin to experience the energy of being a conduit through which God's spirit can flow in order to make an eternal difference in the lives of those around us. Let God help you move beyond your comfort zone. It does get easier with practice. And your personal testimony is irrefutable. Simply tell others in your own words Your story about Jesus and what he means to you. Look for opportunities to to plant seeds, to water, to cultivate the seed of the gospel that must be harvested if we are to fulfill our purpose to make disciples. Begin to pray that God will guide you to the opportunities where he would have you partner with him. And don't get discouraged by the overwhelming need in the world that exists. Look for chances to say a, a good word for Jesus. Cal Thomas said, love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. And that means we're always ready to spontaneously share with others. We we do that about other things, whether it's a a new restaurant, you've got to eat there. Or it's a a new vehicle, we love our new SUV. Or it's a, a new podcast, you have to listen to this podcast. And so we're quick to refer Others to things on which we're not experts. And why do we freeze up when it comes to talking about our, our faith? We, we we need to move beyond just recommending a sandwich shop and and recommend the Savior. One last verse is, is found in Jude 23. And the book of Jude only has one chapter, so it's just listed as verse 23. And so it will help us express a more focused intensity to deal with other people's eternal souls. And this is what the verse says. Snatch others from the fire and save them. It's our responsibility to invite others to know Christ, to obey him. That's our assignment, to snatch others from the flames before it's too late. If you were walking down the street and there were people trapped in a burning building, we would do everything in our power to liberate them to safety. So why do we treat eternal flames with less intensity? Why do we sit back and wait for someone else to carry out the rescue? That's the church's purpose. That's our mission, and that's what we're called to do locally and globally. When I get to that wonderful city and the saints all around me appear, I want to hear somebody tell me it was you who invited me here. 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted the seed, Paul said. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. This week, plant the seed of the gospel story in the hearts and lives of the people with whom you come in contact.